This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Star Wars fans, this is Marisha with Coruscant Radio Underground, and we are super excited to have with us today E.K. Johnston, uh, writer extraordinaire. You have probably come across her Star Wars books and lots of other writings. So thank you so much for being with us today. We're so glad to have you. No problem. Um, Also, I have with me Erica. She is one of my friends from Instagram. She's a lovely cosplayer. She is Erica Alamode. So thank you for being with us today, Erica. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And Lauren Romo, she is on the Galactic Podcast. And so we are doing something kind of different today. We are having an all-ladies podcast. And we are going to ask EK some questions about everyone's favorite thing, at least one of my favorite things, uh, Star Wars, and specifically some of our favorite Star Wars people. Is Do you have anything like specifically that you like like to say to start out um ek any specific like thoughts going forward or um not really i mean the first question is usually like how did you find out you were going to write these characters right um and or how did you feel when you found out you were going to write these characters and uh i um it, i found out about ahsoka first and it was basically like tea kettle noises of excitement, but then also this like deep fear that I was going to destroy Star Wars, which I didn't <laughs> want to do because I like Star Wars. And so I really wanted to make sure that I, I, I did right by the character. And I think that that's sort of been not necessarily like the fear part of it, but that's kind of been my overwhelming experience with Star Wars is that like everyone just loves it so much. Right. Um, and so getting to sort of, be a fan and also a creator has been this like tremendous, tremendous thing. I would, I mean, I would imagine, I mean, I know as much time as we spend just sitting around talking about Star Wars and, you know, kind of the pressure just to like, you know, say like accurate things and, you know, have all of the ducks in a row whenever you're like, I can't imagine um, actually writing stories that like continue the, the legacy of such amazing and beloved characters so hats off to you um i don't know (laughs) if i could do that i think it might would just stress me out too much sometimes when i feel really stressed i watch the freemaker adventures because uh, it's like (laughs) it's my favorite i love it so much it's so ridiculous and every single part of it works (laughs) that's perfect Um, And, you know, I think that's one thing that I really kind of love, especially about some of the things that are happening in Star Wars right now is there's some really lighthearted things going on, which is, which is really wonderful. And, you know, especially for I mean, I've got kids, so I especially love the lightheartedness for them. So I guess I'm just I've got a list of questions here. So I guess we'll just take it from the top. Okay, so. Okay, so I'm a cosplayer, and Erica is a cosplayer. So you've done, Erica, you've done a couple of, of things with Padme, haven't you? I have. So I saw the prequels when I was really little. Um, it was some of the first movies I saw in theaters, and I just loved the gowns so much, and I knew I had to have the lake dress. 
So that was the first one that I made um, once I started cosplaying. And I'm actually working on another couple of them right now. And so as I was reading Queen's Shadow, I kept visualizing all of these gorgeous gowns that you describe and the really interesting things that you do with fabric and how they tie into her character and the practicality of the handmaidens and stuff. And so I was wondering, um, do you have concept art for any of them? Because as a cosplayer, that would be incredible. I do not have concept art. Um, I am not the kind of person who draws well. Like, But I can tell you a lot of them are based on actual dresses. Um, I just like change the color and Star Wars them up a little bit. Oh. Um, so like, that's two best examples probably because um, I don't have my notes handy. But the two best examples are the dress that she wears when they arrive on Alderaan. Um, is basically a higher collar and purple version of the dress from the live action uh, Cinderella. Ah, because oh. she she wants to look soft, she wants to look welcoming, but she still wants to look like she's trying to look a little bit more a little bit more like Lake Padme than Senator Padme, but still professional. Um, cause technically she's visiting as a friend. And so I went with that dress. It's a little bit more informal than a lot of the stuff she wears. Um, and then on the flip side of that, there is the dress she wears when she addresses the Senate about Bromlark, uh, when she gives her and Clovis's plan about Bromlark. And that dress is based on the, um, Godzilla dress from the, uh, her universe fashion show in 2018, um, which just had this like amazing, like I am not a costumer by any stretch of the imagination, but I've met a lot of them since I started doing star Wars stuff, tremendous respect. And it's got to the point where I can sort of recognize good construction when I see it. And this dress was like, it was more of a jumpsuit really. Uh, It was this gray jumpsuit. It had this incredibly beautiful, perfect smocking on the front, like the entire front of it. And then the the model was wearing this like epic coat. And so I just like took it basically, um, made it a little Star Warsy and and put it in the book. That's because awesome. I really I really wanted her to have that sort of like edginess to the Senate outfits because she's trying to do sort of power. So I don't really have concept art, but I do have an idea in my head. You have <laughs> inspiration art. <laughs> Yes, that's brilliant, because I may or may not have sat down with my copy of the book, like as soon as I finished it and started drawing out. Yeah, drawing out like all these things like, how am I going to make this? Because it clearly has to be made. (laughs) So at some point, me and my three girls will all be wearing Padme and handmaiden dresses from the books as soon as I get it done. (laughs) Oh, my God, please. Please tell me. I will. I will absolutely (laughs) tell you. And I will, I will put a pictures on Twitter and I will make sure to send it to you. Um, Because it would be cute because, you know, naturally, being a mother, I think that my children are the cutest, especially when they're wearing (laughs) Star Wars costumes. Family costumes are the best. You know, and the book costumes are really interesting, too, because it gives you a little more leeway as a cosplayer to create your own designs and stuff within the framework of Padme, rather than this whole um, screen accuracy pressure that we get a lot in Star Wars costuming right, to yeah. be to exactly replicate or to replicate exactly the costumes that we see on screen. Um, And so it would be really incredible to be able to work within Padme's wardrobe without being tied down to the precise details that already exist. Yeah, I think that's something I really like about the people who do the comic book based cosplays. Because like, 
that depends so much on who the illustrator is and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of that idea. I wanted to have this sort of doable costume, even though they're completely elaborate and like they're probably not physically possible in at least two cases. But the idea of like her outfits were so I saw I saw the Phantom Menace for my 15th birthday. Like it opened on my 15th birthday and there was this like girl who was about my age who was just so good at everything. <laughs> and I really try to like put that into my books wherever yeah. I can with her because she's, I love her so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember, I, I think I w- must have been 14 whenever the Phantom Menace came out because I remember, I specifically remember someone saying, it's completely unrealistic that somebody would elect a 14-year-old girl to lead. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm a 14-year-old girl. And he said, exactly. And I was like, <laughs> I was you know, kind of sold up. I was, you know, a little offended. Of course, now, in retrospect, I was like, yeah, 14-year-old me had no business leading anything. But I love the idea that with the the focus and the dedication, it could be a thing. And let's not kid ourselves, it has been a thing in the course yes. of history for young people to do really extraordinary things. Yes. Um, and I think it's just because she cares so much. Like, she cares so much, it literally kills her eventually. But, like, I love, I love that about her. Like, even from when she was little... Um, those cutscenes from Attack of the Clones, um, which are in the book, so I don't feel bad talking about them. Yes. When she was like nine, basically, she watched something terrible happen and she couldn't help. And she kind of, she's like, she tells Clovis, I would try every time. Yeah. And I, I love that about her. Yeah. That's one of the things that's so inspiring about her whole character like my background is in human rights and so I love how you frame her character around this ethos for the people and just caring for the galaxy and stuff and it it makes it it, your book makes her as a 14 year old queen make more sense than just like she must be a figurehead like (laughs) how can a 14 year old child be making legal decisions having been a 14 year old girl I understand why 14 year olds cannot even drive and so (laughs) this character with this whole deep this profound sense of her world and her her planet and her galaxy and to have that deep sense of care for everyone in it it makes more sense how she could have been such a successful queen thanks because i also have a book about that (laughs) which we're so excited about yeah and that one that one was actually an experience for me because um i it's the youngest protagonist I've ever written. Oh, wow. Um, most of my protagonists are like 16, 17, 18. And there is a substantial difference between 14 and 16. Yes. Um, and so it was the youngest, the youngest protagonist I'd ever written. And then the other two main point of view characters are Sabe, who is about six months older-ish okay. than, um, than Padme is. But Sashay was the third one and she is 12. So like, right. <laughs> Just like, sorry for all the things I'm doing to you, 12-year-old, you're in Star Wars. But um, (laughs) it's got to be rough. Yeah, sorry. But I just, I love the idea that like, you were talking about like, where would you find this like 14-year-old girl who could do this thing? And the thing is, Padme didn't just have one of them. She had four others. And she, or five others rather, I could count. Mm -hmm. And they all have their flaws and they all have their like, downfalls and things they're not good at but the idea of putting them together as a team um makes them so much more 
powerful really than anyone was expecting. Um, and that idea I actually got from the girls, the girl guides in uh, Britain in World War II. Oh, wow. Because orig- originally oh, wow. the British Army used the Boy Scouts to carry messages for them. Um, but the Boy Scouts could keep secrets, but they could not stop themselves from bragging that they had a secret to keep. And so they were like, sorry, guys, you're all fired. And they used the Girl Guides instead. So Girl Guides in England at the time were the girls who were too young to join the Land Army or the other auxiliaries. So they would have been like 12, 13, 14. Um, My Nana was 15 and she was in the Land Army. So just as kind of an example of, of the breakdown. And so these girls ran messages and not only didn't tell people what they were doing, but also didn't tell them that they were doing it. And the idea of like service with absolutely no renown is something that the handmaidens really buy into, Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least while they're with Padme. And it was something I kind of had to justify for teenagers who are like, notice me, notice me, notice me all the time (laughs) to some degree or another. Some are a little bit more quiet, but like most teenagers are, it's like your most public self. Well, even if you don't want to be noticed and you're a teenager, you really do. You just want to be like noticed in a really specific kind of way. (laughs) Yes, Yes, exactly. At least teenager me. I wasn't like a really um, out there kind of teenager. That was mostly my sister. I just sort of did her shadow thing. But like when I wanted, you know, attention, I like, I just wanted it on my terms. Yes, yes, exactly. But no, I love the, I actually, I'm not familiar with the, the girl guides. That's, that's something. So now I'm going to, whenever I get off, I'm literally going to be on the internet for the rest of the night reading about that because that's amazing. There is a book whose title is escaping me at the moment, um, but it's fairly recent, like a nonfiction. What is it called? My friend Kester was literally just tweeting about it, but I don't remember what the name of the book is. But anyway, if you find that, it's a very good source. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely be looking that up. You know, and I, I love I love the, the camaraderie that the that I, I actually was listening uh, to Queen Shadow yesterday, kind of an expectation for this. Um on on audible and Me just too. yeah <laughs> that, that's been the, that's been the homework this week you know and just kind of enjoying the just the dynamic and um as i've been i've been on the internet today like freaking out a little bit because a little bit of like history i'm not usually the host for this show that's usually my husband's job i usually right. just sort of sit next to him and kind of try and derail the conversation um, and sort of generally sort of say annoying things to kind of get a reaction out of the other co-hosts. So you know, I've been like low-key freaking out on Twitter all day and Lauren's been like, you're going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's been my girl. It's like, it's okay. You re- we really do have this. So thank you, Lauren, for helping me. Hey, um, that's, I'm here for support. For yes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Not lose my mind. So Everybody needs a person like that or you just get stage fright all the time. Right, exactly. Yes. Good point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I was uh, me and my pan of brownies and 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 Lauren on the internet were coping today. <laughs> that's, that's that's been my afternoon. <laughs> that's fine. And I think the the fun thing and the difference between Queen's Shadow and Queen's Peril was Queen's Peril. I get to write them coming together. Mm. The original six. The original six yes. when they're a total disaster, <laughs> and. Because they're teenagers, so they got to right. be a disaster at some point. And that was so much fun because they're still brilliant and they're still compassionate. But like every once in a while, they're going to do something completely ridiculous because they're teenagers. 
And that's one of, like, I write a lot of YA books, obviously. And a lot of times people are like, oh, why don't you write for adults? And I'm like, because adults are boring. Because <laughs> <laughs> if, if you write a teenage character, they're just like, I have a great idea. It is wildly impractical and very dangerous and will put other people in danger as well. Let's do it. And they just, like, roll with it every time. Yes. And I, characters I are just making smart choices. Exactly. And then you get people who are like, this teenager made some very bad decisions. And I'm like, aw, <laughs> someone's forgotten that they were a teenager once. Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. 16-year-olds make bad decisions. I know. Yeah. Everyone pick themselves off the floor. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know about anybody else. Um, the self-possession that your your characters have at the beginning of Queen's Shadow, like they're so, they they own themselves so beautifully, and it's mm-hmm. I guess because they've been through such a huge crisis together, that's really yeah. forged them as a crucible. But um, it'll be really interesting to see them coming together as a team. But one of the things that I just loved so much about them in the beginning of Queen's Shadow is how um, they you take all these elements that girls really get picked on for, you know, for being pretty, for being small, for being um, less intimidating and stuff. You take all of these little elements that are usually treated as detractors for women and it becomes a sense of power for them. So I would love to see how that develops throughout their like coming together as a team. Well, you're going to. Uh, So yeah, I love the idea of, I, I, it was funny because I, when I was on, when I was at Celebration, uh, last time in uh, Chicago, I was like, "Where were we back when we could go places?" Right. Chicago. <laughs> I don't uh, remember. And uh, I was on a panel with Holly Frey and Brian Young, and they they asked me like they asked me a similar question like what I would what I would do for teenage girls, and basically anytime there was something that like people make fun of teenage girls for doing like makeup and clothes and boys, but also like loving stuff like we make fun of girls for liking stuff a lot and they're the reason we have the Beatles <laughs> right <laughs> or like, Elvis like right and like people make yeah. fun of One Direction fans all the time and I'm like yeah and in 50 years when they're the Beatles like come back then call me again like people said when Oasis came out they're like oh they're gonna be the next Beatles and I'm like no they're not because teenage girls don't love them <laughs> that's <laughs> that's true like that's, yeah it's true right like Oasis is fine but they don't have that thing and I, I wanted to sort of take everything like that, that deep, deep sort of passion, the compassion, the clothes, the makeup, the, you know, weird ways that girls sort of manifest affection for each other mm-hmm. um, and, and weaponize it because they're always going to underestimate they're always going to be underestimated, so they might as well take advantage of it. And I love the idea that just because something is pretty doesn't make it useless but if you want something pretty you can also just have it i love which is that i tried to like take a sledgehammer and like drive home and, yes uh, in case you missed it the first time it, here it is again in a different context i know it because every time grown-up dude is like there were a lot of dresses in this book and i was like yes sir i hope you like <laughs> um, there's more where that came from Yes. And you build the dresses into her character and it becomes a, like a self-defense mechanism. It becomes a political tool. Like these dresses, it's not just, oh, she's changing outfits every half a scene. It's like she's doing this and there's a purpose for it. And so it makes it it makes our place as women in the Star Wars fandom feel a little more real. Like we're not just here as decoration. We're mm-hmm. here and there's a purpose for it. There's a scene in 
the Phantom Menace, or there's a series of scenes in the Phantom Menace, rather, where she she wears five outfits in, like, a day. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) that was very stressful for me. But but the whole time I was like, no, this is Padme. Each dress means something different. She can't wear this dress now. She can't wear... She has to wear the white dress or the, the light purple dress for one reason and then the red dress when she's talking to the Senate and then right. the black dress because she's in mourning and then a different black dress because she has to change quickly later on. And like, wow. there's, there's so many outfits and they all have a function and they all have a purpose, but people are going to look right through them every time. Right. And just be like, why'd she change clothes so many times? Why'd she change clothes again? Yeah. So and, yes, it's, it's well, something even- that I definitely like to play around with. And even that whole perception of why is she changing clothes all the time is a tool that she acknowledges and she uses that that you've written into the story. And so it becomes a very intentional choice that she wants people to underestimate her in oh, a yeah. certain sense. And so it it just crafts this whole character as a very dimensional and pensive planned out person and so I really loved that that you took this thing that people were critiquing her for for so much throughout the prequel movies and made it into an intentional character choice that she could own I I also enjoyed that it was quite self-indicating there's a lot of self-indulgence in this book and every time someone says they liked it I'm like you're welcome and also (laughs) (laughs) also I do too well you know I mean that's always one of my favorite, you know, as a teenage girl, one of my favorite things is like, oh, and all the pretty things. So I, I'm i I'm with you. I also enjoyed going through and being like, you know, just the, the because honestly, I feel like, because of course, I've read a lot of things by like the costume designers and the, um, the concept artists and things, you know, and like all of the thoughts that went behind uh, the creation of these of these things in the first place, and really a lot of them, there went well. Is always a lot of thought behind design. Um, you know, she's dressed this way because you know she's she's here to make a statement. You know, she's looking larger than life. You know, she talks this way. You know, because she's for these different reasons. And so I loved getting to read explanations of some of that for the whole world to see instead of just people who are totally nerdy and spend all their time <laughs> reading um, production <laughs> notes from a movie that came out 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And it was definitely like costume nerds. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was definitely something though, that like 15 year old me assumed, right? Like, people were like, why does Queen Amidala talk so funny? And it's like, so people can't tell she's Natalie Portman. Like <laughs> she has to, she and Kira Knightley have to sound the same. Like that's why she talks so weird. It's why she doesn't use her own voice. And then people are like, oh, well, I just assumed Natalie Portman was a bad actress. And I'm like, I got some news for you about Natalie Portman. She's right. going. Yes. But like, I just, and so like in the, the underestimation of girls really like extends even as far as Natalie Portman, like people assume she did a bad job. Right. And what she actually did was genius. She plays two different characters in that movie. Right. And then she changes herself entirely to match Anakin's growing up in Attack of the Clones. Right. There's a 10 year gap there. And I think she doesn't get enough credit for the difference between her Padme at 14 and her Padme at 24. When in reality, what, like three years had gone by for her. Right. Mm-hmm. And she plays this 10 year gap. And I think that that's something that, again, people underestimate her because she's, you know, tiny. And I don't know why anyone would underestimate Natalie Portman. She could clearly defeat us all. But like, <laughs> yes, 
it's just, it's just something we do. Right. And, um, and at the same time, I remember those pictures of her studying on set. Right. And she, I can't remember, I can never remember if it's Yale or Harvard, but she went to some ridiculously hard university to get into. And she did like some crazy science. Like she wasn't just like showing up and like reading books and like coasting through and like pretending to hand in assignments and stuff like that. Like she was, she was doing the work. And I remember those pictures of her studying on set and just being like, this girl is amazing. And her character is amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I can't imagine her wearing those headdresses all day (laughs) on set. I like that blows my mind to think about like how, (laughs) how acting with like a huge wig or contraption on your head, how that must've been like crazy to do. Yeah. The whole yeah. car battery powering the red, uh, uh, the throne room dress, the right. car battery that she had to carry between her feet, right. blows yeah. my mind. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad uh, all, all, all of us cosplayers are glad that options have progressed since then, <laughs> so we don't all have to, because you, don't you know <laughs> there'd be people at Comic-Con with <laughs> car batteries under their dresses. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I have a feeling con security would not appreciate it if we all brought car batteries. <laughs> we <laughs> should try. We should totally do this. We should just show <laughs> up and be like, but it's screen accurate. <laughs> it's for authenticity. I don't, my, I don't think that would fly. <laughs> <laughs> my car battery is necessary. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So what was like of all the things you've, you've written quite a lot of Padme now. So what was your very favorite thing to write for Padme? Um, what do I have to think? My favorite thing to write for Padme is a toss up still. Um, there's, there's a scene I can't really tell you about in Queen's Peril, which I definitely wrote the book for. Like it was in my original pitch. Mm -hmm. It involves, going to uh, the Naboo version of a My Chemical Romance concert. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, it was so much fun. But the scene from Queen's Shadow that I love is the one where they're at the party and she's up in the, <laughs> she's up in the tree because um, she needs to see everybody's body language while they're talking. She right. can't just have a report. <laughs> and she has to like climb up Typo to get into the tree. And um, originally... So I joked that I had to edit swear words out of Sabe's internal monologue pretty frequently, <laughs> um, which I did like as I was writing the book, I would just like stop her from swearing as we were going. Right. But one, one swear word made it through and that was Padme when she realizes that she has to get out of the tree, climb back down Typho and like run down three levels and change to get back to the party. And um, I had long had a headcanon, a deep personal belief that whenever a Star Wars character says, oh, no, uh, what they actually mean is a different word that starts with F. <laughs> and, uh, and so I wrote that in the book. And when it came back and Jen, my editor, had changed it to, oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, canon accepted. Vindication. <laughs> so, yeah, we just want you to carry that with you going forward. Yes. Every time someone says, oh, no, in Star Wars. <laughs> Different we, words that start with yeah. that. <laughs> so yeah. That's oh no, perfect. wrong fuses. Oh no, the first order is here. <laughs> oh uh, no, Detroit has a bad motivator. Like it's it's totally. totally 
we will never see Star Wars the same again. Because now that you're saying that, I'm like, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> this all changed. Yeah, that changed. I post back like he's a ladder, so I could yeah. definitely see using some colorful language in that situation on both their parts. I, I, right? feel, I feel like typos word a lot. Um, <laughs> At least actually, the inside. I actually really missed him in Queen's Peril because he's not in it. Because mm-hmm. he's not in the movie. Oh, right. Yeah. I guess. And I I missed him a lot more than I expected to. I still got to write Marike, uh, uh, Panaka's wife. Mm-hmm. The other, the other Panaka. The other Panaka. Uh, <laughs> who in my head is played by Rachel House because ah. she's amazing. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, I still got to write Marike, but I really found myself missing Typho. And it was hard to write Panaka because of what's going to happen to him someday. So... <laughs> Mm-hmm. It was kind of, I had to come up with reasons for them to trust each other, but also not too much because later on they're going to do a whole thing. Right. Um, it's going to, it's not going to end well, but it was still kind of nice to, to have, especially Marike and um, a couple of the other guards back and then to write the original handmaidens again, the original five to sort of have them because I, I loved Versailles and Corday and Dorme but for whatever reason they're not like when I close my eyes and think of handmaidens like I see that those orange robes right like yes. I see I see we are brave your highness so I really kind of it was really awesome for me to write those like the, the girls that I saw when I was 15. Yeah that's awesome I mean I just can't even you know I've kind of and that my, my degree is in English and, you know, so every once in a while I'm like, I'm going to write. But I can't even imagine getting to write characters from, you know, whenever that were, you know, like heroes as a kid. That's super exciting. It's it's kind of fun, like, because people are always like, oh, you know, just little parts of you show up in Ahsoka, the character. And, and I really tried hard not to do it. I think some stuff got in anyway. But with Padme, it was like, am I doing this because or is Padme doing this because it's what I would do? Or is Padme doing this because it's what I would do because it's what Padme would do? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's because that's valid. She's very, she's very much one of my like one of my influences as a kid. It definitely could do worse, you know. And I think I think that's one reason that the you know even though the prequels were kind of derided when they came out, I think that that's one reason that they have really held up kind of in in retrospect is because for so many of those. For so many of us who were formative, you know, it was our formative years, you know, like I said, I was 13 when they came out. And I think now Erica and Lauren, I think y'all may be younger than me, but I think that that's one reason it's held up so well is because they're, they're characters that sort of influenced kind of the way we look at life and kind of who we've become. Um, so, For sure. So that's exciting. Regarding the um, the whole growing up with Padme as an influence, um, this is this is going to tell you how old I am. But I was about <laughs> three when the first prequel came out, so I was very little. Um, Attack of the Clones was one of the first movies that I saw in theaters, and I just I walked out of that movie and I told my mom, "I want Padme's dresses." <laughs> And my mom was like, no, we have no way for that. Um, and when I got badges to Comic-Con, I was like, hey, guess what? I have somewhere to wear this 15 years later. I'm, I'm, I'm making it. Yes. <laughs> but one of the things that I really looked up to about her was her dedication to doing what's right and to the democratic process and how human rights can always be pursued through the channels that you believe in, because if you don't believe in it, the system just doesn't work. 
And it hinges upon the fact that people have to believe in it and that you can do the right thing in this process. And sometimes you're not always going to agree with people and sometimes people aren't always going to do the right thing, but it is incumbent upon you to always pursue what you believe is right. And I ended up studying human rights and international law in part because of this love for a character that was so influential for me. And so even though I have my issues with the prequels, um, I think there's some things about it that are just so unshakable because of how beautiful her character is. And I love how you develop her as this independent character, um, independent of her planet, independent of her job and independent of her relationship to Anakin too. So that's what I really loved about this book. There was, um, I think at one point, I can't even remember at one point, my, my goal with Queen's Shadow was that the word Anakin would not appear in it at any point. And, and there was a stage of, like, edits where it kept getting thrown in to, like, one of the sentences about the necklace mm-hmm. um, instead of the small boy from Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And I kept taking it out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, you. you just have to give me this one. Thank um, you. <laughs> but I think, I think what makes Padme interesting in that regard is that her... I don't want to say she's a cautionary tale, although literally everyone in Star Wars is... Um, but the idea of her biggest strength also being like a tremendous personal flaw, Mm. which is that she cares too much. And she, she has this, like, I know we often describe her as like having this endless capacity for compassion, which turns out to be not quite so endless, like it ends and it's terrible. (laughs) And, um, it's a very real thing. There's a lot of psychological studies have gone into looking at, especially as activists get younger and younger, studying like the psychological fallout of them when, you know, they're an activist for, you know, women's rights, but they eat cows. Or like they're an environmentalist, but like they took an airplane one time. Like that kind of thing. Like the things that you are made to feel guilty for. Mm-hmm when they're totally outside of your control. And I think looking at Padme as an adult now, because I'm 10 years older than she ever got to be, just this idea that, you know, the parts of yourself that you have to keep back and the parts of yourself that you don't have to share to ev- with everyone and the parts of yourself that you don't have to mortgage to, to help. And that's entirely up to you. Mm -hmm. and Padme made all of her choices and some of them were not great (laughs) but like I love that idea of agency in terms of like she chose she chose most of the things that happened to her they weren't always the best choices and sometimes they were false choices because Mm -hmm. that's what Palpatine always gives you Mm -hmm. but the idea that someone especially now could watch that and just be like okay I see where she went wrong (laughs) I'm going to try anyway. And I like I like that about Padme. She keeps trying. And Sabe does too, with a slightly different modus operandum, I guess. And that's why in Queen's Shadow, when Sabe goes to Tatooine, obviously she was going to fail. Like for plot purposes, she has to fail. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to really lean into the reasons why she fails. And she doesn't fail because the movie was already out. 
I mean, she does, but the, <laughs> I wanted to give her a reason. And the reason she fails is because she is a well-intentioned, fully financially backed white lady who goes to this planet and doesn't ask how she can help. She just kind of swings in and assumes she knows what's going on and she doesn't. And it never occurs to Padme to ask for help either with regards to the Tatooine situation. And so after, um, and of course that's always going to be the tragedy because after her failure on Tatooine, both Padme and Sabe fail on Tatooine, um, she does ask for help. And of course she asks the worst person imaginable <laughs> uh, because Palpatine's going to need slavery as an institution down the road. Right. And so mm-hmm. the idea that like, as more people look into activism and as, as, as especially kids become more and more active, if you are that, you know, white kid who wants to help people, you have to listen to, you can't just show up. You have to figure out how to help, not just that you're going to. And I think that's an important part of, of Padme's story as well. Mm-hmm. Cause eventually she does figure it out. It's a little bit too late. And again, her allies are not great at that point, but it was something I wanted to put into the book as like, if she'd found the white sons first, how would the story have been different? Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of, I kind of liked that approach to something that was already inevitable because of a movie that came out in 2005, but like you, you do what you can. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and that's always one of the brilliant things is because, you know, in a, in a two hour movie, it's like, and this thing happened, you know, and you know that in the real world, there's so much more behind the way things are, you know, to, to look back and to see that, you know, it's like there are real people making good decisions, bad decisions that have real consequences, um, and, you know, that you see for 30 seconds and you might not even think about. But um, and that's something that I, I really enjoyed about the book was going back and examining the the background and the, you know, you know, like you said, the, the places that they failed and the bad decisions and, and the good ones and the good intentions. So, yeah, I, I think that that's, I think they're important conversations. And I mean, that's one of the great things about literature, right? Is it's and a, Star Wars and Star Wars. <laughs> yes. Is it's a yes. way to talk about some of the most really fundamental things that, that make us human, and and to get to examine them and look at them through a little bit of a different lens because it's kind of weird and so you can get away with saying things that you could never say in real life. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. So, I mean, you know, you've written, so you've written Padme and you've written Ahsoka and they're such iconic and well-loved and like really well-developed characters to different extents. It, I mean, of course, Padme is one of the central characters in three movies. Also, we see her a lot in the Clone Wars. And Ahsoka is just unexpectedly and off the rails, just (laughs) one of the most popular characters in Star Wars. So what is it like to to write characters that that people love so much? Um, It's equally like deeply terrifying but also this tremendous gift. I'm not going to lie, I worked very hard to get where I am, but there's quite a bit of just like being willing to put myself forward mm-hmm. involved in getting a Star Wars book, or there was back in the day. I don't know how it works anymore. Back in the day. This was in 2014. Right. Um, <laughs> long, but, long ago. <laughs> long ago. Back when uh, we before, before the dark times. Anyway, so, <laughs> the, uh, so 
it was very much a combination of knowing what I wanted and making before the before Ahsoka was even on the table, I made two career moves that were very deliberate hmm. because I wanted to write for Star Wars someday. And when they offered me Ahsoka, I was like, holy crap, <laughs> this is going to be amazing. And I had to really sort of sit down and figure out how I was going to to write that character at such a vulnerable time. Yes. Without writing any within the within the constraints that I was given. Right. So it became much more of a sort of a psychological book mm-hmm. um, than an action book. And which was fine with me because I had not I will straight up admit I'm not the person they come to when they want a nice action romp. Right. <laughs> that's that's not my jam. I love reading them. I am not good at putting them together. But so getting to write especially with Ahsoka, because she was so important to so many people. And most of those people were kids. (laughs) I wanted to make sure that her book was really accessible, um, even if it was being read to you. So like if you were seven or eight, and you weren't like Mm -hmm. a super confident, big book reader yet, but you love the Clone Wars, your parent could still read you this book. Queen's Shadow was a little bit different. As I said, it was a lot more self-indulgent. It was very much written for me in 1999. And so I I kind of wanted to have that slightly different audience while also hitting the same target, which is kind of weird. <laughs> Plus, it has to appeal to everybody who likes Star Wars. So right. for most of the people who like Star Wars, which is impossible, by the way. Right. But That's not um, a tall order at all. But we can try. Yes. Uh, and And so I think it was really, it was an exercise in, I guess, excitement for lack of a better way to put it. Like it was stuff I really enjoyed doing. And then sometimes I would be like, they're probably not going to let me do that. (laughs) I should take that out of the book. And like hilariously, when I was writing the Ahsoka book, I wrote it just after The Force Awakens had come out. Okay. And because she talks about the Force a lot in that book, Mm -hmm. I had actually typed in, like, that's not how the Force works, like, six or eight times in that book. And I had to, like, take it out. Like, not not quoting Star Wars was hard. (laughs) Because it turns out I do that pretty frequently. So um, I had to to quote other things instead. But it was was definitely – it was definitely – Fun and scary and amazing. I think, Lauren, you had sent a couple of like Ahsoka related questions. So why don't you why don't you throw those out there for us? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, the Ahsoka novel actually was my first Star Wars canon book that I read. So it has a, a, a near dear place to my heart. So, you know, obviously, like you were saying, uh, EK, that you had maybe some constraints. Actually, you had to kind of stay in a certain area. Um, I'm just curious, you know, obviously with the Clone Wars, the Clone Wars coming back, um, obviously we know animation takes some time, uh, in to develop and everything. Did, did they tell you that the Clone Wars was coming back and all? And if so, did that affect the direction you went with the novel? So the short answer is no, and not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. The slightly longer answer is that I went to school for archaeology And then I got my master's in forensic archaeology and crime scene investigation, which means I have been trained by world-renowned experts how to take pieces of things and make them into a narrative. 
Nice. That's so, awesome. I spend a lot of time actively not thinking about Star Wars. They did show me a lot of concept art and stuff I'm not allowed to talk about. But like when I saw the concept art, for example, Nyx was still a character and now we have Trace and Rafa. The bit where Ahsoka uses the ray shield in the book was pretty much verbatim. So obviously Dave... And like the thing with Dave that you have to remember is that like I love Ahsoka and Ashley loves Ahsoka, but like nobody has spent as much time thinking about her and planning her story as Dave has. So I really think that in his heart, he's been working on that Clone Wars coming back for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of, you know, kept it close, kept it close and teased people at every available opportunity so that fans would still be like... (laughs) worked up about it and then I'm not sure of the exact order of operations but I know when they published the book um Dave has been pretty forth like forthcoming and saying that like they weren't sure if there was going to be a market like they Mm -hmm. literally did not know if people were going to buy this book it went into its second printing a month before it came out wow so like that's that's how okay it did so I think at that point they were like okay sure Dave here you go. And um, <laughs> if they hadn't already. And then he got to make changes. I know it was funny because people ask me about her lightsaber colors all the time. And I'm just like, dude, if I had been allowed to do that, I 100% would have. It hurts <laughs> so much more. Like Dave gave an interview uh, last week where he's talking about like what, what it means that Anakin fiddled with her lightsabers. It means that he was thinking about her. He's messing with, like, the physical manifestation of her Jedi soul. He's a control freak. He thinks he's doing the right thing. And his, like, arrogance is coming into play again. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course make her lightsabers blue. It's going to hurt so much later when she thinks he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, that's that's the kind of thing. And in terms of the fight scene, like, I got to tell you, writing lightsaber duels is really boring. <laughs> Overhand <laughs> swish. There's no Lateral music. swish, yeah. There's no, there's no, like, there's no help at all. And and we never would have got that that sort of, of scene in a book. And that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think, like, whatever happens, oh, God, tomorrow... And then Monday, like whatever changes have made, it's not going to take away from like the spirit of the book and the the soul and the emotion of the book. Right. Mm-hmm, right. And if you want to be a jerk about it, which I'm sure nobody here does, that book is like 70,000 words long and 1,000 words of it just became uncanon. I'm using air quotes, even though you can't see me. Um, <laughs> so like 170th is not bad. Like, no. <laughs> I don't know what 69.70 is in percentage, but like, it's got to be very high. Like it's, it's an excellent grade. <laughs> and so I just feel like, um, I mean, obviously my favorite Star Wars is both the Freemakers and Are You Scared Darth Vader? So my relationship with canon is tenuous at best. <laughs> but I, I just love the idea that they showed me some pictures and then I got to write a version of it and then mostly deal with the emotional fallout. Right. And then four years later, spent 20 minutes, like, hugging a pillow, screaming at my television, because <laughs> it was, like, it was so beautiful, and I was yes. having so many feelings, and most of them were a surprise. 
<laughs> and that to me is just amazing. So I'm not sure if that was the answer you were after, but that's my feels. I've been getting this question a lot lately and you're the first person who's asked it out loud. So <laughs> uh, you may have, you may have gotten a slight overload. Woohoo. Uh, so uh, actually, uh, Dave Filoni, were you, was that kind of a big deal to talk to him when you were writing oh the God. book like four or five years ago? Huge. So he was on all of the calls. Nice. Um, oh, wow. He, yeah, he was on all the calls. He gave notes on every manuscript. Awesome. Um, like every draft. Did you keep those? I would have kept them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have them all. Some of them are really funny. Um, and some of them are like, Dave, that's just not going to work. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, he's writing for television and I'm writing right. books, right? Yes. Right. Very, I'm like, right. I don't have a team of animators, Dave. Like, right. <laughs> you can't draw this myself like you can. Um, I don't have Ray Park to mocap this yeah. for my book. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so it was... Uh, so it was really, it was really good to have him there and to know, like, if, if I had a question, I just asked him. Wow. And uh, yeah, he was, he was amazing to work with. And it was really, I think I, I know Ahsoka is a very personal character for him. So I definitely didn't want to like step on any of his like hopes and dreams for her future, basically. Right. Um, <laughs> But it was it was tremendous working with him, and like yeah, it was it was it was again that first phone call was mostly just me like internally shrieking. But um, <laughs> oh my god, I'm on the phone with Dave Filoni. Kind of like us before you uh, got on this call. Just FYI, <laughs> in case you're wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should see me the first time I met Ashley. <laughs> Oh, God, that would have been crazy. The first thing she said to me was like, hi, do you like cupcakes? And I was like, I do. And she was like, good. (laughs) Okay. Oh, my God. We signed a hundred books, but it was not. (laughs) But yeah, so it's just just like, just tremendous. And that's the thing I love about the Star Wars books is that they are so collaborative. Like, the story group is great. I know I've like, a brain like a sieve when it comes to remembering technical details and like what Rodians are called and like how to spell Coruscant, like all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so often in my drafts, it will just be like a square bracket <laughs> with yeah. the description of the ship I need or like yes. Pablo, I need an alien that has four arms or like <laughs> that kind of thing. And they'll just, they'll just tell me what it is. Yes. And it really showed up in Queen's Shadow because I had played uh, Battlefront 2 and you have the ion shield. Um, on Naboo and I emailed story group and I was like can I have the ion shield from Battlefront 2 and they were like why and I was like trust me (laughs) in the first draft of Queen Shadow I wrote the first draft of Queen Shadow and everything was fine and then I got on a plane to go to Salt Lake City and I read Princess of Alderaan Mm. And I was like literally landed the plane I didn't land the plane the pilot did the plane landed and I was like (laughs) Hey Jen, just landed in Salt Lake City. Red Princess of Alderaan. Holy crap, we're gonna have to change Panaka quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And, uh, make such a big jump. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. And like getting to build that and getting to build it again in Queen's Peril was just so heartbreaking because I love him so much. But like Palpatine is the worst. <laughs> the worst. Uh, my my nephew is seven and uh, he is really getting into Star Wars. Well, he has since he was like three. Like the first wor- the first three words he could read were Star Wars and his name. That's hilarious. Uh, That's awesome. And not in, in that order. And so, <laughs> uh, but it's been really interesting to sort of watch his morality develop 
in relation to Star Wars, because that is also how my morality developed. Right. <laughs> and so he, a lot of his like hard questions that kids ask are like framed in Star Wars. So he was asking, uh, he was asking my sister, like, you know, so Palpatine used to be a good guy, but mm. then he became a bad guy. And Sarah was like, no, I mean, like, Anakin was a good guy, and then he became a bad guy, but Palpatine was always a bad guy, and, like, he took (laughs) what made someone good, and he broke it. And then there was, like, three minutes of silence, and then my six-year-old nephew goes, Palpatine is the worst. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that's going to be my approach to writing him forever. He takes things, and he breaks them, because he's the worst. And that's what he did to Panaka. That's what he did to Padme, that's what he did to Anakin. He sucks. Anyway. Yes. What he did to um, democracy. Yeah. What he did to oh, democracy. yeah. Well, you know, on a personal level. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling a different story to begin with, and I forget where it was going. But um, oh, Princess talking- of Alderaan. Okay. Uh, Princess of Alderaan. And so I was like, oh, my goodness. How am I going to get Panaka and Padme? How am I going to drive a wedge between them? Because it has to happen. And the answer was that, that ion shield. They fought over the ion shield. Right. Because he wanted more. And as soon as I had that, and because I could take that from Battlefront 2 and, and incorporate it into a story that takes place, you know, years and years before, it gave me that character moment that I needed. And I think that's really something I love about writing for Star Wars is that it's full of that kind of thing. You were able to and have written some amazing characters, obviously, Padme, Ahsoka, and all the other characters within your novels. Is there any current Star Wars character, either in canon or legends, that you are just dying to write about? <laughs> yes, there is. Thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> no, usually usually I have people ask me, like, do you have any more ideas for Padme stories? Do you have any more ideas for Ahsoka stories? I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, but I'm not going to tell you, like, just in right. case. <laughs> However, I have been very upfront with, because the first person who asked me was Pablo Hidalgo, and it was on a New York Comic Con panel. Oh, wow. So I was like, I'm going for it. The person I want to write for Star Wars is Y.A. Palpatine. Ooh, yes. He's just terrible. And like, he's just terrible. And like, (laughs) I had not fun is not the right word, but it was interesting to write his scenes. Spoilers, he's in Queen's Peril. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to write his scenes in Queen's Peril because I got to sort of write from his point of view for the first time. Wow. In Queen's Shadow, you kind of see him, you can kind of tell what he's doing, but it's from Padme's point of view. So you don't see him like being terrible right um whereas with this one i got to actually write from his point of view and i got to write from darth sidious's point of view um which was also very interesting (laughs) terrible terrible men but um (laughs) yes the worst i've heard the worst the worst (laughs) area area six confirm and so (laughs) it was just like i just find I, li- I like the idea of presenting him unapologetically. Like, I'm not, like, if I got to do it, like, you wouldn't feel sympathy for him. Right. You wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, that origin story is pretty good. I do feel a little bit bad for him now. Nope. There's, there wouldn't be any of that. Right. Like, nice. he's just the worst. Just pure evil. Yeah, pure he evil. is. Yeah. And, and he breaks things on purpose. And, right. He convinces the people who are broken that it's their fault. And that makes me so mad. (laughs) (laughs) 
That'd but be a great. Yeah, that'd, that'd be a great character. Book. I would want all of his information. Yeah, <laughs> even like oh, oh god, I'm so terrified of what that book would look like. I know. <laughs> it'd be beautiful. But I'd be beautiful. Yes, it would. It would like oh my gosh, it would be such a. It would be such a painful experience to read yeah. after write it. I'm sure. I'm sure we'd all be fine. Yeah, <laughs> we would all live <laughs> after a little bit of therapy. We'd all be fine. <laughs> 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 or that pan of brownies, you know, that I was yeah. on earlier. And there you go. Whenever, I think when we it, need multiple pans of brownies to get through that. Yes. <laughs> that sounds so amazing. Yes. But you mean he didn't used to be nice and he got ruined? Nope. nope. He ruined himself because he's the worst. <laughs> We're so tied into this idea right now of sympathetic villains and like understanding how a villain became the way that they are. And like mm-hmm. you see that with like this whole fad around Loki and stuff where everyone wants the villain to somehow be good and everyone mm-hmm. wants the villain to be redeemed in some way and to understand how they got there and to just throw Palpatine out there and be like, no, sometimes people are just bad. Sometimes, yes. sometimes he's just bad. Sometimes like, just I, I love a good I love a good redemption arc, don't get me wrong. Roger mm-hmm. in the Free Maker Adventures has a particularly good one. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm not kidding. It's amazing. <laughs> that ha- it happened and I was like, they just give the best redemption arc in Star Wars to a battle droid? <laughs> <laughs> in a Lego show? Yeah, like not even a ba- not even just a battle droid, a Lego battle droid. A Lego battle droid. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, and it's and it's a throwaway. Like it's not even it's not even the plot of that episode. It's just like he comes to the sudden realization that he's the bad guy, or like the droids were the bad guys, Uh-oh. and he has a break in his programming. Wow. And they're like, "Well, you could just delete it. Like, just delete the fact that you know that." And he's like, "No, I can't. Yeah, I can't delete yeah. that. I have to know." And so, like, he carries in his memory, like, every time he was ever killed by a Jedi, which is how he trains Rowan to fight with a lightsaber, because, like, he's been, <laughs> been killed by Mason. <laughs> uh, so he has, like, these traumatic war flashbacks and stuff like that, but he's still able to, like, acknowledge that even though he didn't have a choice, he was on the wrong side. And he owns it. He could delete it. He could delete that information from his data bank, and he chooses not to. And I was like... I can't believe I'm watching a Lego show. That's <laughs> awesome. <Yeah. laughs> Why is it so good? How is it so profound, but also it's animated Legos. <laughs> that is epic. Yeah. I mean, but what that's, that's, again, that's one of the things we got to love about Star Wars, right? Is just all of the just super great characters. I mean, even mm-hmm. the battle droids, you know? Um you so many. You, you, I feel like you could just sort of like, just crack open a novelization, just put your finger down anywhere, and just like pick any random character and be like, and there's a great story there, you know. So like, who is, who is your favorite Star Wars character? Just like, off the top of your head, it's 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 definitely Padme. Yes, Padme. For I'm with you. Yeah. Padme team. <laughs> so the way that I usually describe it is that, like, I love Leia. I love Ahsoka. I love Hera. I love Paige Tico for reasons I can't even really articulate. And I love Rey. I love Finn. I love Poe. There's so many characters in Star Wars that I love. Um, and I hate picking favorites. But there is an expression in the Doctor Who fandom that um, people use to describe the, like weird bond that you have with the first person you saw play the doctor. Right. And even if they do not eventually become your favorite doctor, 
mm-hmm. you still usually say things like, oh, well, in this case, for me, Nine is my doctor. Right. Mm-hmm. And in Star Wars, Padme is my doctor. Like, she's the reason I got into fandom. She's the reason mm-hmm. I have friends who like Star Wars. She's the reason I got back into Star Wars. Because, like, I saw it when I was little and stuff. But, like, mm-hmm. it was my 15th birthday. I didn't think this movie was ever coming. You know, mm-hmm. like, we were there. And I was like, someone made me a Star Wars movie. Like, me specifically, this Star Wars movie. And I think that's the other reason why I, I, I like her so much is that she was the first time that I really felt Star Wars was made for me specifically. And that feeling is so great. Yes. Um, and I think I want other people to feel it. So I always want to push the boundaries in terms of casting and directing and all that kind of shenanigans and writing and animating and craft services. I don't know, but like, um, <laughs> all the I, have only, I have only the vaguest idea of how movies are made. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I watched the Lord of the Rings behind the scenes. That's the full, like, <laughs> The full extent of my movie making knowledge. So, yes. um, so there's a guy who throws leaves in the air. Yes, yes. <laughs> sure of it. But I just uh, that feeling. I I want everyone to have it. I want everyone to have that moment in Star Wars. And I think the other moment that like people, women specifically, had was when um, Wonder Woman came out of the trench. Mm-hmm. Yes, Woman, yes. It's like that was amazing, and I want like black women to have that moment. And I want Chinese men to have that moment. And I want like Nigerian trans teenagers to have that moment. And I like, I just, I want to share that feeling because it's so good. Mm-hmm. And that's something else I've really enjoyed about Star Wars is that I get to meet all these fans who have started to see themselves in Star Wars yeah. and work. Like the first time I was on a Star Wars panel, I sat down and very uncomfortably realized that as the girl on the panel, I was the diversity. Like it was white guys and me. Hmm. And I was like, I am uncomfortable. I come from YA background. So I've, I've been on all white panels before, but I've never been on an all dude panel before. And I was like, this is, this is almost uncomfortable. And, and now like I'm uh, on Monday, I'm, or on, the fourth, I don't know when this is going to air on the fourth, I'm going to be on a panel with Rebecca Roanhorse and Alex Segura and Zoraida Cordova and Alexander Freed. Like it's, it's changed so much um, since I started doing Star Wars events. And I love that because it means that more, I write for kids. So I always think of kids first, but more kids are going to see themselves Mm -hmm. on pages. And then those kids are going to grow up and make movies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there, it's going to be like, it's just going to keep going. And, and that's, that's something else that I have really loved about the Star Wars experience. And maybe it's a little bit self-serving, but I really like being able to, now that I ha- sort of have this seat at the table, I really like being like, oh, I found another chair. Like, come on up um, and just make the table bigger and all that kind of stuff. It's been, I think, probably a, like something that I've really, really enjoyed. That's awesome. Yeah. So... Thing that matters so much to Star Wars fans too because like as an Asian female fan of Star Wars 
the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy didn't really ever include someone like me. No. And so it was um, interesting to start cosplaying Padme because I would get some people who were really supportive of it and really excited. And then I would also get the people who had to tell me how um, uh, all about their Asian fetishes. Ugh. Oh, no. Oh, um, and so it's really interesting to see how the Star Wars community is changing and stuff and like with adding like Rose Tico and with more Asian characters like even in the animated shows and stuff to just see now I get more comments just about people being really excited to see a Padme cosplayer not just like an Asian cosplayer or like yeah. an Asian Padme and stuff and yeah. so it's interesting to see how the community is changing too with like our new developments and diversity yeah I felt actually the same way with Rafa and Trace uh being a, a Latino um American like that really kind of hit me harder for some reason watching them on the Clone Wars like you're saying like it's just more representation that is needed and is just like really great to see, especially in Star Wars. Someone someone had said to me, they were like, were you mad that like, they just took your idea for like a pair of black sisters? And I'm like, uh, you mean, am I mad that there are now twice <laughs> as many? <laughs> because that was exclusive to you. That idea was you you coined it clearly right yeah yeah wow yeah, we've had we've had two black girls in a book that's that's good for star wars guys we're good <laughs> of course it's not of course i'm thrilled there's more like wow i remember seeing the art of nicks and being like god another one that's three <laughs> like, and, slow down slow yeah down. yeah but uh it was definitely like i was like oh my goodness they replaced one white boy with two girls who aren't white. <laughs> like, yeah. Clearly revolutionary. Uh, and, and that's the kind of thing I love. And like, you know, Ahsoka, when they were worried about people liking Ahsoka, they had to make everything around her palatable. But now everybody loves Ahsoka. So they have so much space around her to build the kind of Star Wars that we want to see. And like, I... I, for one, am a fan, clearly. But it's it's definitely something that I'm looking forward to if, if we get more Ahsoka going forward. And I hope we do. Awesome. I hope we do. Yeah. yeah I don't great... know where or when or how. I'm sure, like, I'm sure Dave Filoni has a whole room in his mind palace. That's like... <laughs> it's the Ahsoka place where the Ahsoka <laughs> plans are made. A whole wing in his mind palace that's like... <laughs> plan for Ahsoka. <laughs> that was perfect. Well, I suspect that uh, especially as well as the Clone Wars, is especially as well as this, can I just say absolutely off the rails, incredible season has gone over. I suspect we might see more Ahsoka going forward. <laughs> mm. I, like, I literally woke up this morning, I was like, oh, it's Star Wars Day. I was like, oh no, wait, I haven't recorded that episode yet, so it can't be Friday yet. Y'all, I can't keep track of what day it is. <laughs> Yesterday, I, I thought it was I, Tuesday. <laughs> I realized that, like, you were like, yeah, we do Tuesdays and Thursdays and Sun or Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Sundays. And I was like, cool, April 30th, which I thought was a Sunday. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Thanks for having me on a Thursday. Yes. Uh, Thursdays are great. <laughs> like, no, because you emailed me back and you're like the 30th. And I was like, I thought we were talking on Sunday. And then I was like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
blame it on the quarantine. I swear all day could become an amalgamate day. Yes. Really, there's no different days anymore. There's just time. There's Tuesday (laughs) because new books come out on Tuesday. Uh Oh, there you go. And Monday is May the 4th, which I hear is going to be kind of a big deal. I I hear a rumor. (laughs) Rumor has it. I know, like, somebody... asked it like can I can I call you you know about something completely unrelated on on Monday and I was like literally I was like writing out sorry I can't do that that's May the 4th <laughs> we have to do Star Wars I, I things tell, that I day someone, I had to tell someone I couldn't go to a baby shower <laughs> nice like, oh, I'm nice. sorry I cannot go to your virtual baby shower <laughs> it's Star Wars Day, and I have prior commitment. <laughs> well, yeah, everyone's been planning Star Wars Day celebrations since quarantine started. We're like, all right, well, we can't right. go out anymore, so we're getting in costume and getting on a Zoom call. Yes, <laughs> no, like my kids are like, what are we doing in this? I got plans. Yes. Do you need Padme Amidala at your birthday party? Because like, <laughs> that, I'm happy all day. Well, Zemia and um, Erica, because my kids are like, what? Because we have a party every year, um, and invite like all the people that we can convince are Star Wars fans enough that we know, like locally. <laughs> like, don't you want to come and like eat? Last year, um, we had Wookie. We just had all kinds of random stuff, and so the kids are like. We're not having a party this year. What are we going to do? They're all, yeah, in low-key meltdown mode because our, our party's off. So we've been consoling them with promises of blue ice cream and, uh, <laughs> and well, Clone Wars. All day. So uh, I have Rebel Legion parties uh, planned. Um, and so we're, all, we're also uh, preemptively celebrating the release of Queen's Peril. Um, and so we're having a Padme pajama party. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So we're, we're planning out all sorts of stuff in preparation, both for May the 4th and for Queen's Peril coming out. So we have like, um, the old Padme recipe book. Someone found it. Oh my goodness. goodness. Yeah. We're making Padme power bars. Oh my gosh. Wow. We had no idea we're a thing. And because we're all scattered across the Bay area, we're all going to be making them separately. So if they turn (laughs) out terribly, there will be way too many Padme power bars in California. That's hilarious. There, there shall definitely be pictures on Instagram of this, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm also (laughs) planning on a, a, I'll probably be in the hair and not the full dress. I'll be in my lake dress bound or in the various pieces of my picnic dress as it's being built because Perfect. then I can sew it while it's on me. So <laughs> <laughs> it well. If I had a dollar for every time I've done that number, I'd be rich. <laughs> yeah, there's just I have 6,000 four petal floral sequins to sew onto that picnic dress. Wow. Yeah. Mm. That's a lot of flowers. I love Padme, <laughs> but her outfits are, are a challenge. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. so she wasn't making them herself. Didn't you didn't you get the she memo about all the people that were doing her and getting her dressed? Y'all, as somebody who has done that makeup, <laughs> um, okay. I was like yeah. I was listening to the, the um to the book on yesterday yesterday and I was like uh, I was talking about, you know, getting the white makeup in and then taking the um the, sh- the scarf off that was, you know, to keep the, the makeup from getting on her dress. I was like, okay, so definitely, because I have discovered, because having done it both ways, you do indeed have to put the make on, on up on after you get the dress on. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm glad to know okay. that my process is canon now. <laughs> <laughs> I've also learned you have to do the hair after the dress is on. Right. Turns out it does not work in reverse. No. Alas. No. 
<laughs> and how do we learn these things? The hard way. The hard way. <laughs> Never the easy way. In your lake dress hair, in the lake dress, and you're just like sitting on the floor of your hotel room. Like, how have I gotten to this point in my life? <laughs> I'm being strangled by my Star Wars dress because I want to be Padme. That's too funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, typically my Padmes are like nine. So my favorite thing is getting all the makeup on and being like, after it takes like 45 minutes for me to get the, and it's so smooth and it's perfect. And then she sinks down and chugs a, a, a thing of um, orange juice and gets all the makeup off of her mouth. <laughs> drinking straws. Drink literally. Like I started carrying one around in my purse and I was like, you're not drinking out of that bottle. You drink out of this straw. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, and her outfits, too, involve so much detail that you're always afraid to eat and drink in them. And so I remember I was at WonderCon, um, and my friend was doing this um, Day in the Life of the Cosplayer uh, photo project. And so she has this picture of me when we sat down to breakfast in the lake dress, and I had tucked a napkin into the the Mother of Pearl collar right. so that I wouldn't get food on anything. And I already had my makeup done, so my mouth is open like a <laughs> and I'm trying to get breakfast potatoes between <laughs> my lips without ruining my makeup or dropping anything with ketchup into my lap. Yes. <laughs> and that's probably the most flattering photo I have in that outfit. And I show that to everyone because oh, it's the awesome. thing I've ever seen. Now you know why Padme needs handmaidens. Yeah, there you go. It takes five people just to eat in that dress. Yes, exactly. It's like literally that's why um, I go as a handmaid and make sure one of the girls is is the queen because I get to follow them around and like, you know, make sure their dress is decent. Yeah, so like I, from experience, handmaidens are definitely uh, required um, accoutrements <laughs> for the Padme, the Padme look to work. <laughs> well, and that's part of what's so cool about the books. You see that dynamic too. You go like, this right. is not effortless, no. but also it's so important to this whole character and their dynamic too. And so it just, mm -hmm. it really develops that sense of like, these are intentional choices yep. and it might look inconvenient to you, but they're all done for a reason. Yes. yes. Yeah. Just excellent. So, so I have to ask, Ek, was Phantom Menace actually your first Star Wars movie you saw, or just the first one you saw in theaters? It was the first one I saw in theaters. Okay. So, is it your favorite Star Wars movie, or do you have another favorite Star Wars movie? So, keeping in mind earlier what I said about hating picking favorites, right? Uh, <laughs> my my favorite Star Wars movie is the playthrough for Battlefront Two. Oh, that's so good. That's a great I answer. Speaking, yes. speaking of loving redemption arcs, there's like three in that one. Yes. Yes. Um, but I I loved I loved that. I loved Aiden. I loved Dell. I loved Dio the first. Like they're and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it feels mm -hmm. like a and like I I wasn't sure if I was gonna like it because the trailer made me kind of uncomfortable. Like I, I, I'm, I'm not an Imperial fan. That's no secret. And mm -hmm. I didn't like the, like we will destroy their hope and like rebellions are built on hate and like all that kind of stuff that was mm -hmm. in the trailer. I did not super enjoy, but one of my friends was like, I really think you should watch the playthrough and not just because the Naboo parts are going to blow your mind in terms of scenery. And I was like, okay, fine. I will watch it. Mm -hmm. um, and it was so good. 
And um, I, yeah, so it's my, it's my favorite Star Wars movie. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> have you watched, have you played the Fallen Jedi? Uh, no, not yet. No? Not okay. Yet. Okay. Not had, I have not had the time. I'm not very good at video games, so it takes me forever. Um, <laughs> That's the mood. Yeah, that oh, is food. I'll, I'll get to it. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, so I don't play video games at all, so you know, I just watch my husband play them, or I just get on YouTube and watch. Like, I want to watch the <laughs> watch the playthrough, like you said, watch the story because I just I would like to watch someone else play this well. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> watch someone else not suck and <laughs> feel a lot of feelings. Right, which is why Twitch <laughs> is a thing because all of us who are like, I'm not that good at it, but I'd like to see somebody beat it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how I could have beaten it if I were good at this kind of thing. Right. <laughs> if I cared enough to learn. Like, I feel like in Pride and Prejudice, Lady Catherine says I would have been a great proficient if I had ever learned. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, that's, yeah. that, that, that's how much you... awesome at it if I could do it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> great if I had ever learned to do this, which I did not. Which I did not, Yeah. Exactly. But we, also, you can watch playthroughs while sewing. You cannot play a video game while sewing. It's That's true. Unless you are one yeah. of the four-limbed aliens that have <laughs> extra opposable thumbs. Because <laughs> I, I have not figured that out yet. That's funny. Yeah. That's kind of where I've become in my life. Like, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and I watch a lot more. Like, when I was young... And I had no responsibilities. Like I read all the time. I read all the books. I just would sit in my room and just read for hundreds of hours. And now I'm like, can I get it on Audible? Because alas, my children, they unrelentingly want to eat and have to have clean clothes to wear. And I can't <laughs> provide either of those things while I'm reading. So <laughs> such high demands. <laughs> so many demands. Yes, for sure. Yeah, but audiobooks make it so easy. Like, I've been listening to Queen's Shadow in preparation for Queen's Peril coming out, so I've been rereading it, and, like, I've been listening to it while sewing masks and stuff, and mm -hmm. while gardening, and while working on my Padme projects, and it's so convenient, and the great thing about the Star Wars audiobooks is that they add music and sound effects oh, yeah. and yes. stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's my favorite thing. The um, I did not know that that happened on Star Wars audiobooks, so, like, I bought... A copy of the Ahsoka audiobook uh, the day that it came out. I was in a hotel in, where was I? Orlando. And um, I had a terrible migraine because the event had been the night before and I'd gotten really dehydrated because oh, no. um, I had not been prepared for the heat. Um, right. <laughs> yes. So I had a terrible <laughs> migraine and uh, I just listened. I like, like, and I was at Disney World, which is not a great place to be sick. So I just like closed the blinds and lay in bed and listened to this audiobook. And the, it started and it's like John Williams playing with Star Wars music. Yes. And Ashley Eckstein is like, Ahsoka by E.K. Johnston. And I was like, I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and then there were like, there were lightsaber noises. They play, they play across the stars oh. over, over the, over the, uh, Ahsoka and Caden scenes like there's <gasps> so many details in in this book and when they did the Dooku the audiobook guy is amazing 
Uh, he's super fun to work with. He loves Star Wars. And when he did the Dooku one, because it was full cast, they actually had to record some extra noises. Oh, right. Um, so they had to get a Foley artist in to like do some of the extra stuff. And he was like, I've never done a Foley for an audio book before. And I was like, you're <laughs> such a nerd. I love you never, Jane. <laughs> That's uh, epic. Because he just loves the audio book so much. And uh, they, they're always so good. And the both Kat and Ashley have just done fantastic jobs. Yes. And I can't mm. wait to hear the next one. I know. I've thoroughly enjoyed, um, you know, I, I have I have a hard copy and and the audio copy, so I kind of switch back and forth. Um, but, yeah, I always do enjoy – we have – my husband is, is an avid reader still, and I think has bought – I think he owned every Star Wars book ever published, like, back in the EU days and has bought every one since then. So we – listen to and li- read lots of Star Wars audiobooks, but I never cease to be impressed with like how beautiful of a job they do with the the effects and the music and all of that in the background. It's it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. The audiobooks are incredible. Yeah. So Especially because I can never make my own Wookiee sounds when I'm reading <laughs> Yes. <laughs> also that. Managing the audiobooks so yes. I feel better. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Crisis averted there. <laughs> Don't have to worry about it anymore. So <laughs> I'm sure you've clearly you've read um, you just referenced several times in the conversation Star Wars books you've read here uh, recently. But did you actually read Star Wars books like back in the day, back before the Disney acquisition? (laughs) Funny story. I did not. So when I was six, Mm -hmm. I picked up a copy of The Courtship of Princess Leia. Okay, And I read the back of it. And I was like, Leia would never do that. (laughs) (laughs) and then i didn't read star wars books um i read uh shadows of the empire or the book that comes between empire strikes back the one with zizor the creepy lizard dude okay yeah Mm -hmm. uh which i think is called shadows of the empire it's around here somewhere um and i read i read the phantom menace tie-in okay and then i read Kenobi, which was the last book in Legends. So brilliant. I love Kenobi. It is Kenobi. so good. And then I went back and I read Razor's Edge because I love both Martha Wells and Leia. And I have a copy of Tatooine Ghost, but I've never read it. Okay. Um, I found it somewhere. But yeah, yes. no, I read I read Kenobi and then I read A New Dawn and then I was like, man, this John Jackson Miller guy is on to something. Yeah, he really um, is. And then I started reading. I have read most of the new canon stuff, but I was never really like... I was never really in Star Wars fandom. Right. Okay. Um, until like it was always like I was never online in fandom. It was always like my brother or like a couple of my friends. Right. It never like I wrote and read fan fiction a lot and I never wrote or read Star Wars fan fiction. Interesting. And so I was always and I but I wasn't like I like to think anyway that I wasn't like a, a movie snob. I just I don't know. Like I never yeah. wanted to go outside of the movies. Yeah, I was the I was same kid. way. Yeah, and possibly, possibly because Thrawn scared the crap out of me. But um, <laughs> <laughs> he's he is kind of scary. I mean, no joke. And, like I didn't even read it. I just saw him on the cover, and I was yeah. like, hard pass. No um, hard pass. Although, <laughs> so I think like that's definitely something that I've enjoyed as I've come back into Star Wars uh-huh. um, as a storyteller and a fan. Like I love the comics. I love the books. It's just, it's just so much fun. I love that they're playing around with the audiobook format. Like that's just so cool. Yep. It's, 
it's a good time to be a Star Wars fan. It is a such, and I I think that that's I my most frequently used line about Star Wars. It is such a good time to be a Star Wars fan. It's like whatever, mm-hmm. whatever your thing is in Star Wars. There is something there, you know, if you like the books, if you like the comics, if even if you're, you know, there, Timothy Zahn is writing Thrawn books again, you know, if, if Thrawn was your thing back in the day, which I never really, I, I, I was, I'm with you, I never read Star Wars books back in the day, but I've actually gone back now and read some of the old ones just because I was like, I keep hearing people talk about this Mara Jade character. I think I need to investigate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, But yeah, it is. It's a great time to be a Star Wars fan. And, you know, there's just a never ending source of incredible things coming out. And, you know, we just appreciate you being a part of, you know, making some of some of our favorite things in Star Wars continue to happen. So thank you from all of us Star Wars fans. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for making Padme. Uh, an independent actor, a real person, just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, every time someone says thank you, I'm like, guys, I really cannot under understate how much fun I had. <laughs> <laughs> That's had even and better. And it was amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we're so, we're so glad that you guys were able to come on and talk with us. This has been such, such um, a great experience for me. This is, my first time actually hosting this show. And so this is definitely the way to do it. Um, You guys have been amazing. And so before I go, I just want to give each of you a chance to kind of give us a little bit about what you're doing, where we can find you on the internet. So um, EK, what, obviously you're writing a new Padme book. Um, So when will it be out? All we, we need all the information that you can give us without violating your NDA. <laughs> so Queen's Peril comes out on June 2nd, and depending on when this airs, Queen's Shadow, the ebook, is going to be free from May 1st to May 8th. So if you don't have the ebook, or if you know someone who wants the ebook, or if someone's like, I just haven't had time, it's a really great time to pick up Queen's Shadow. Awesome. Um, yeah, Queen's Peril on June 2nd. I am online on Twitter at EK underscore Johnston, which is also my Instagram handle. Um, I spend a lot of time on Tumblr because Tumblr is the best. I'm EK Johnston with no underscore because they don't let you have underscores on Tumblr. <laughs> and that's about it for me. My Instagram is mostly cooking right now. I'm not going to lie. But it'll get more bookish as we get closer to, to the big day. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being on here with us. It has been amazing to talk with you. Um, okay, so Erica, how about you? Where can we find you on the internet? Oh, um, I am uh, Erica Alamode. That's E-R-I-K-A-A-L-A-M-O-D-E. I'm at pretty much everything like Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook. I mostly use Instagram, but I did log on to Twitter because I saw that that EK, you retweeted the the um, Star Wars Don't Rush Challenge. Oh yes, and I was the Padme at the beginning of that video. And when you retweeted, awesome. I was so excited. And so <laughs> that was the first time I'd been on Twitter in like ages. I I love those videos. Um, so I'm I'm at Erica Alamode on um, 
pretty much everything. I'm most active on on Instagram, though, and I'm working on some new Padme projects. So if I survive sewing 6,000 sequins onto the picnic dress, hand embroidering the corset, and then smocking 30 yards of velvet, because of course Padme has a 30-yard velvet smocked bathrobe, um, I'm, I'll, I'll be on Instagram if I survive that process. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and Lauren, where can we find you? Uh, yeah, well, Fred and Marisha, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. It uh, means a lot, and I uh, had a lot of fun talking with EK and Erica, and had a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I can be found on Twitter, uh, at Low Row Nose, and same for Instagram. Um, also, on the Galactic Podcast, we are at the Galactic Pod on Twitter, and we are on Apple Pod, Google Play, and Spotify. Excellent. And I am Marisha Gore. You can find me on Instagram. I am princesses underscore and underscore Padawans on Instagram. I'm P Padawans on Twitter because I make costumes for my adorable Padawans who sometimes like to be princesses. And that's mostly me on the internet. So thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, may the force be with you. What's going on, Star Wars fans? Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Coruscant Radio Underground. We really hope you enjoyed it. Check out our Twitter page at crew underscore podcast. That's C-R-U underscore podcast. You can check us out at thesciencefictionary.com. You can check out our other show if you love just sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, comic books. Check us out over at the Science Fictionary podcast, just like this one, available on all major podcasting platforms. And definitely, definitely, definitely want you to go check out red5network.com. We're proud to be a member of the Red 5 Network, and we would love it if you'd go over there and check out all of our fellow podcasts on the network. Thanks again for joining us, and until next week, may the Force be with you. <laughs>